This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwanga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm Chipper Musa. How come? Because we've got a guest on the show today. A guest, a guest. A who guest. Might, who might that a be? A very special guest. A very special uh, guest. And we're going to be joined by Arsenal England's Lotta Woman Moy. What an honour. What um, an honour. A real honour. Right. Um, I think first official guest of the year. Yes. Yes, actually, yeah. Yeah, we we don't really do guests that often on Stadio. Maybe maybe we should. Maybe we should like that would involve just... having involve having friends. <laughs> <laughs> we're recording this a little bit earlier in the week, so we're going to do. You and I are actually going to be on Wright's house tomorrow, so we'll talk. Yes. We'll do a quick roundup of the Women's Champions League, which is back this week. Maybe mm. some international stuff if anything noteworthy happens. Yeah, we're not going to do that today on on today's show. We're going to leave that to counter pressed as well. So make sure you go check Flo and the gang. And then we might have a mention on Writer's House as well. We're going to talk about some TV stuff as well. We are. Which is going to be fun. Um, but yeah, we had a chat with Lotta. Really wide ranging chat, talking about like Arsenal, talking about her career, talking about stuff she does off the field, her game, who she modelled her game on. Yeah, it was really fun. Education, really fun. a pleasure, all of the above. A real joy. The first centre-back to come on Stadio. And hopefully not the last. Listen, centre-backs listening, this is a safe space. Ball playing centre backs of the world unite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a quick bit of admin. Uh, uh, if you do like what we do, please give us a rating and review. Be very kind. But um, let's go on to the chat, huh? Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right. So 
super, super delighted, honoured to welcome Stadio. I think our first guest this year, apart from Wrighty, because Wrighty doesn't count because he's not really a guest anymore. Well, he's family, he's furniture. He? Yeah. Exactly. He's furniture at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. You may have heard her voice already. Arsenal and England centre-back. Euro winner. Lotta Wubben-Moy. What an honour. What an honour. Lotta, thanks so much for coming on Stadio. Oh, the, I think the pleasure is, is completely mine. Oh, it's, it's definitely not, honestly. honestly. <laughs> um, just a little bit of disclaimer, because when we're recording this, we're recording this a couple of days before the Women's Champions League comes back. The mm. night after you guys got out of Leicester with, uh, with three points. How's it been going this season so far? Like I thought maybe just check in, see how you are, how's how you feeling game wise, how it's been kind of getting back into the swing of things after the summer, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, coming off the back of a, a World Cup, there are certain expectations, certain moods that have been set, I think, by not only how the Lionesses did, but I think also looking at um, women's football as a whole and the the progression that not only the ceiling has made, but also the, the floor. And I think um, that speaks a lot maybe to, to where the WSL is is now and um, yep. will weave into a lot of uh, maybe the, the challenges that uh, us as a team have faced. Looking at our history, Arsenal, we dominate, coming off the back of, of a win last night against Leicester, um, which on paper you'd maybe say, oh, that should be an easy win. Um, but that first half was by no means easy. Um, we wanted to play yeah. our way. And um, I think that being maybe um, looking at the epitome of what this season could be, um, however much you want to be able to play, um, there are going to be teams that can get in your face and make it hard for you. And I think where we are at as a team right now is learning to take that on the chin, but then also use it to our advantages when the play, uh, spaces open up and where we can um, look to then dominate the teams higher up um, in front of their goal ultimately. I want to just jump in there for a sec um, because that game yesterday almost summed up kind of your season so far. Teams coming at you with aggression, like almost disrespect. You look at, you know, obviously Paris or Liverpool and then you having to find solutions. And what was encouraging last night for me was those four goals after half time. they all kind of got better as they went on, like in terms of the combinations and the quality. What was that conversation that was had after that sort of difficult start to the season, after the sort of Liverpool game? What was the conversation that, you had in the squad that really got you back in gear and what was the conversation at half time that got you back in gear against Leicester? I think quite often in these moments when things don't go to plan I think you have to look at it in a very uh, realistic way um, oh. look at it on paper I think um, within our first few games of the season we'd only actually had um, a week together to be able to train coming off the back of a World Cup the pre-season was limited and we were ultimately thrown into what I think is a structurally um, absurd uh, setup for a Champions League qualifier um, and we were thrown into that with with little to no preparation um, and yeah came out um, as the ones who missed out ultimately and um, yeah looking at that as a as a means to to um, define maybe where we are at as a team um, wasn't wasn't right and we had mm. to look at it realistically uh, from that moment and likewise yesterday the reality was we were two goals behind and we needed to find a way to win and with the quality that we have not only on paper but also that day the form that we have players in Lessie looking sharp Chloe Lacasse um, 
fighting the urge to sing her song right now, running down what the a, wing. What um, a player. What a player. Oh, my what goodness. What a player. We have so much talent. And looking at where we can go as a team, you've also got to take into account the, the reality of, yeah, we're going to have players coming off the back of internationals where they've had to travel from, from Australia um, across the world. And all of these, I think, facets that you forget as a fan. You forget when you... Yeah. Um, when you're watching and I mean that's not to say that our fans don't I think appreciate those moments because I think of all the fan bases ours definitely do but um, yeah there's there's um, so many moving parts to it and right. um, yeah last night's win was was somewhat of a, a telltale story I think for us as a team so far and it's not to say that um, that's what we want it to be because it's not um, we're Arsenal we want to dominate and historically um, speaking, that's what we have done. And I think we've got to look at the present right now. And um, that is also what we want to be doing. Yeah, yeah. Just, um, you are obviously an elite footballer and Moose and I very much aren't, right? So <laughs> how difficult is it coming back from, from such a massive tournament like that, having a bit of a pre-season and then into something that is really, really, really important, having to switch it on. And like you say, like Paris have proven that they are not a surprise, really. Mm. How difficult is that? And then all of a sudden just being like, okay, we're back on international duty. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the mindset switches that you have to be on is pretty crazy. Um, yeah. And I'm saying that as someone who have, has had to do that pretty much for my whole life, and most footballers will have, um, by the way, which is why I think it then becomes normal. And um, yeah, we are normal people, but... We also are programmed and we're prepared for this. Like this is our job. And mm-hmm. um, similar to, to you guys, um, like I'm sat here sort of like rosy in the face talking on a podcast. So this is not my normal uh, environment. So likewise to your saying, hmm, how, how do you do that? I'm saying that also about you guys and the, the work that you do. So I think there's, there's this level of, I think, empathy that other people or that that fans have, I think, for us um, or don't have. But there's also this part of it being our job. And mm. we're all on kind of like different journeys with how developed I think our mindset or our ability to sort of tackle these difficulties are. But ultimately, when you come together as a team, um, you all have to be on the same page and um, give or take. It's it's a few pages here and there um, that go amiss. But um, when you're on your A game when your mindset is right. Um, there is no sweeter tune that can be played amongst the team. Um, and uh, yeah, travel included. Um, you're kind of all in the same boat and um, that, that mindset then becomes contagious and um, that goes both ways, both positively or negatively. And uh, I can't really fault the mindset of, of our team going into those um Champions League games because we knew what to expect. We we knew that the schedule was going to be like that. So however much you can um, you can say, oh, I wish this or I wish it had been like that or bang the doors down of FIFA and UEFA to, to try get on the same page. However much you, you say that, there's still part of you that knows this is what we were expecting and mm. we haven't come out in a way that, that we would have liked and the overwhelming feeling then is of, of disappointment. The WSL is a funny one, though, because not just because the league is relatively short, because you've got what we call in football often like this expanding middle class where T 
teams that were decent the year before are like 20% better the year later. Like when mm. Everton took a jump like two years ago and even like, you know, Villa showing signs now and again, obviously a tough year now, but there'll be teams that sort of punch through and they're better than you expect. What's impressive about this year, I think, is you have kind of, after that sort of slightly groggy start, you've dragged it back. The City win was extremely impressive. And within all of that, you are someone who is, you know, even your England days, you're captaining, you're a leader. What is it about your style on the football pitch that makes you want to take responsibility? My, my first thought when I get onto the football pitch is how can I make an impact? How can I be front-footed and uh, attack-minded to help this team? And I think my early days of football, of idolising Joran Cruyff, like his, his mindset of attack is the first form of defence, I think rings in my ear every time I step out onto the pitch. And yeah, with that comes maybe moments where, okay, you don't want me doing a, a chop on the 18-yard the box. But if I need to do that to get out of a situation where I can then play forward and penetrate and play through the lines, I'm going to do it. And I think that also speaks to yeah the, the Arsenal DNA of playing out from the back, of, of trying to find solutions uh, and trying to trying to probe the other team in ways that other teams might not dare to do. So, yeah, attack being my, my very first thought when I do step onto the pitch, whether that be up for a header, into the space, trying to be as front-footed as possible. Mm. That's a mindset that I, that I take every, every game, I think. Moose and I were both beaming then because anyone who lives <laughs> in Stadio know how, knows how much we idolise <laughs> Joran Cruyff. So I was just like, holy shit, Joran. She's playing all the hits. I know, right? I was just like, <laughs> lot, lot is going to be added to the roster. Do you know what I mean? Just, <laughs> um, just by the way, you mentioned like coming into a podcast. I just, can I just state for the record that you are performing at a far higher level than Moose yes. and I would if we'd been dr- like brought on at half time yesterday because <laughs> it would have it would have ended up being like six Ward Leicester. I think Moose and I have been Moose are the uh, alleged pass first striker up front oh, and uh, me oh, me God. running around midfield trying to be like, what the hell? Why are there so many of them? Like this Ryan, is- I, I kicked a football this week and I unleashed my first touch. It's a good thing this is like an audio, not a video podcast because. <laughs> <laughs> no one needed to see that. The imagery is vivid right now, both for you, Musa, and you, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan can actually, well, no, Lotta, sorry, Ryan can actually play football. Um, <laughs> not anymore, not anymore, like far from it. I mean, you're mentioning Johan Cruyff is amazing because not wanting to big you up because you're here, but we were at the Wolfsburg game. Well, we were at the, at the Wolfsburg game last year, but they won the year before as well at home, the 1 1. And forgive me if I'm wrong, but it was quite a big deal that you came into the starting 11 for that game, right? One of the things that we noticed were was you scan like a midfielder. It was really noticeable in that game specifically. Mm. Now you've mentioned the Cruyff thing. It's kind of like a you. I was like, ah, I get it now. Well, actually, yeah, it's funny you mentioned Cruyff because I know it's a more recent example. But I use it because people will see it when they've seen him play. But watching you play, sometimes I see kind of the John Stones thing. Mm. You know, just stepping out. You know that thing where you have the confidence to step out between one or two players and then play that pass, the more incisive one, and even even play it sometimes in field. Like you don't. Yeah. You're not really afraid of playing in the ball into traffic. Trusting your midfielders. Is, yeah, which is interesting. So I just wondered like on that, like, in terms of your style of play, it's obviously a composite of lots of different styles of players you might have been influenced by. Who are some of those players who you've drawn stuff from over the years and you, you've taken bits here and there? Probably the, the main player that I've uh, looked up to as a, as a youngster was Casey Stoney. Um, wow. And I think that's part, partly thanks to the, the ability for Arsenal as an academy to foster that admiration for the younger players 
Mm. I joined Arsenal when I was 13 and a lot of the weekends that we spent that weren't at our own games were spent watching the women down at Boreham Wood or wherever they, they were, if it was a yeah, a South game, maybe against Chelsea. Um, they'd always encourage us as players to go and watch. And football was never that big of a thing in my household when I was younger. We didn't have Sky Sports, so the access that we actually had to football in general, not just women's football, uh, which was very niche at the time, but women's uh, football in general wasn't that great. So I didn't sit down on a week-to-week basis watching, studying football. Um, I only really had access to it when I would go physically. And I think that in itself is a... Um, it's a pretty big shift in, in how you then consume football, right? Because mm. you're able to to really absorb the, the leadership qualities and the, the maybe more softer um, skills that each football player has. You can hear them, you can watch them, you can see their body language. And I took a lot from, from watching Casey when I was a youngster. And I remember her ability to carry the ball. She did it in a way that wasn't typical of other defenders. And I think the, the women's game has obviously developed a lot. But back then it was very much... Oh, I'm going to hoof it. I'm going to get out here. I'm going to make a big challenge. It'll be celebrated, but then the ball is going to go out of play. I never was able to resonate with that. And every time I make a challenge, I think I try to do it in a way that keeps the ball alive, that allows my teammate to be able to then play with it and play with it in a way that is actually of quality. Mm. So Casey Stoney being one of those uh, players that I did look up to at the time and I was super fortunate to then be age 16 three years later and break into the first team squad. I actually made my debut when I think Casey was injured and I remember vividly looking over to, to the stand in Boreham Wood and CNS sat on the bench and thinking, wow. I'm playing and I've now switched the tables to a degree that, yeah, I'm not going to be playing to, to probably the degree of Casey Stoney because I'm pretty sure I got <laughs> I got like... <laughs> Completely <laughs> annihilated by Frank Kirby. I think that was probably like my second <laughs> who game. Did, oh, who didn't? Who didn't? Who hasn't <laughs> been? Who didn't? Who didn't? And who hasn't? It's an honour to be on that list, I think. You know. <laughs> Frank Kirby is so good that she did a body swift once. I fell off the sofa. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Dummy did my own flat. No, anyway, back to you. Sorry. sorry. Yeah, no. Um, she probably dummied me that game, yeah. Um, but... The, the, those kind of full circle moments of going from the apprentice to, to someone who can try to embody then what you've learned and create it in a way that, that is your own. And mm. um, I by no means say I'm uh, necessarily like Casey Stoney or, or uh, aspire to be like her, but I, I definitely took parts of her game that then have, have been moulded into my own creation of who I am as a player and um, what I want to stand for um, on the pitch. and bring to the team. Can I actually throw something in as well in terms of your style? Carlos Puyol style heading. (laughs) (laughs) The energy of like getting in the aggression, the aggression to like propel yourself through a crowd, right? Musa, Musa, let me me get this straight. Are you suggesting that I play with my hair down? (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, that's uh, certainly more than I do. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not suggesting that at all. Uh, But just on that, that, I just, I wanted to mention that in terms of the Puyol references in terms of um, your eye for goal something which um, you haven't necessarily had the chance to express more as of latter stages, but where does that eye for goal come from? And would you like to do more of that? Would you like to be more aggressive in that context? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think attack is the best form of defence, as long as you're scoring more goals than your your opposition. However I can contribute to a win, I try to do both in in our 18-yard box, but likewise in their 18-yard box. And um, I know my ability heading possibly like Puyol, but I, I back myself in, in the 18-yard box and 
there are certain like nuances that that come with that in terms of where we de- where we're delivering is it front post is it back post what are our runs are we changing that based on their setup are they zonal are they marking and um, there's so many different moving parts to it that you try to then compute in in the game to then give you the best opportunity to score and in the game in general you're seeing a much bigger focus on set pieces like Arsenal men have a have a set piece coach um there's a certain part of the facility that's dedicated to um set pieces in, on the indoor indoor dome where there is a chance to learn and, and be more applied in terms of the runs and the deliveries and we make use of that as well uh, they've done a great job of uh, of recruiting a, a set piece uh, coach that we have uh, with the women as well so in general i think trying to be ahead of the curve not only as a team but also for me personally set pieces are your easiest goals i think that you can score could talk about goals because uh, you got a, a great one in the Conti Cup last week, followed up with an equally sublime celebration, oh. which was, can we just say, extremely wholesome. And I'm really glad you did that because probably before you were even off the pitch, it was flying around on, online. <laughs> who was the girl who was the celebration? Who cop- it was- She's called Izzy. Izzy. So it was at an England camp, right? And, you, yeah. and she came down to play and she did that celebration. You were all there kind of hanging with her. <laughs> and then she scored and you were like, oh, do the celebration. Mm-hmm. And then to do that on the pitch, I think is so, was so cool. And like, is that kind of stuff going through your mind, even in instances like that? Because you scored a goal and like, you know, you're not exactly, uh, you're not a striker. So it's not something that's going to happen all the time. And how aware are you of the bigger picture, even in the most decisive moments like that? Because it seems like kind of incredible, to be honest. To me, Football is part of the bigger picture. The bigger picture isn't part of football. Like, but every time I step out um, onto the pitch, I think I understand that I'm doing so with a lot of privilege, with um, a lot of gratefulness and doing so in a way that I I want to make an impact with. Mm. When When you make decisive actions in football, I think, it can often be, yeah, it can often be just waved upon and get lost within within the game. And um, most most actions, I think, are lost within the game. But there are certain moments um, that I obviously witness from uh, from the outside as a as a defender. You don't necessarily get to be part of those moments of of scoring a a goal and having those few seconds where all the attention is on you where you have um, this this window to either bring the fans in, um, shine light on um, a teammate that you want to thank for a goal, celebrate another teammate. Or in in, in that case on, on Thursday, I wanted to use that moment to um, create a space, create a moment where this young girl who might not be able to relate to, to a lot in football, but can relate to a moment where she is part of something that is extremely special, where she's touched me to the, to the uh, degree that I feel like I want to share that moment with her. And um, yeah, it, that sounds pretty wishy, wishy-washy. And, um, no, I think it doesn't. No, no, I think being able to share who I, more of who I am as a person um, is, or allows me to, to be more understandable in that respect I think but every every time I I play football I, I do so with 
more than just football on my mind, I think. And, right. Um, that gives me that gives me energy. You see that with a lot of footballers where some would say, you know, this thing, oh, their off-field stuff distract, detracts from their game. Uh, I think there are people who, if they don't express themselves fully in all aspects of their lives, they're worse footballers. Yeah, that is me, yeah. Lisa. That is you know. me. Well, can we go there? That was a lovely segue. Because we, were, we oh, wanted well, to ask you. you about like, because, you know, we were, we've talked before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about just like creativity and stuff like that. Mm. And for, for stuff that like for Moose and I seems perfectly normal, we kind of came up through those fields and you've got a reputation for being someone who is creative, someone engaged and stuff off the field. There's a vibe that comes through in a, everything that you do. It touches on art, it touches on music, it touches on creativity in general. So what, are, like, what, what do you love outside the game and like how did you find those worlds at the same, you know, while also managing to be like an elite footballer. An elite footballer, yeah, exactly. Where's the time? How do you have the time, honestly? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My, um, I'm super fortunate to have been part of a family that um, maybe wasn't so much focused on football, more so, um, like you've alluded to, the creative side. Art spent probably most of my childhood um, at the Tate Modern um, around galleries in London. And I think the Turbine Hall, which actually I think is my next... Um, my next target for throwing a five-a-side game there. If anyone oh my God. listening has wow. a, a hookup for, for that, yes. I'd love to throw a five-a-side game there. But um, growing up in a, a creative household, um, it is very much part of me. And I would actually try to escape that as a kid, um, maybe not knowing so much um, how much it was given to me at that time. But I would escape it to the local five-a-side estate pitch, um, grazing my knees, like enjoying myself playing till the floodlights didn't work and um, just enjoying myself there. Uh, kind of not really knowing, not really knowing that I was building, building a, a life for myself that uh, was about to be completely hand in hand with, with that life I was actually trying to escape when I was, when I was running away from home. Um, in the evenings, um, throwing my school bag in, in my room and uh, getting my astroturfs on straight away. Um, and the two now very much come in hand in hand with, with my life and not necessarily taking away energy from my focus on football, but more so giving energy to it. Um, I try to to combine the two in, in as much of what I do as possible. Um, and I guess my colouring book for this year's World Cup and last year's Euros as well being an example of that. I think mm. it's such a nice such a nice way to bridge the two worlds which actually are more similar than, than most people think in a conventional world where yeah the the pitch is your canvas and it, it can sound cliche but if you want to make of it what you want um any pass any dribble any shot it's it's yours in that moment and not necessarily everyone can recreate that but they can recreate it to their own ability to their own enjoyment and that being a beautiful part of uh, how football is creative and likewise mm. creativity is is within football well another part of creativity um your blog like a lot of wisdom a lot of humor uh there's an amazing entry you do on the extra rep about mm. forcing yourself beyond what you're capable of like doing one extra rep of each you know edit or whatever like run or sprint when you think you're already spent do you have any plans at any point in the future to do anything a little bit longer uh, in terms of writing? I really enjoy writing. Um, it's just finding finding the time. And um, as I'm sure you guys are, I mean, I know Musa, I've read quite a lot of your work, but there comes a point, there comes a point oh. where I think you, you look for 
um, perfection, you not perfection, but you look for doing things justice, uh, what you're speaking the care, about. Yeah. The, yeah, the care. And um, I think that's the line that I tread maybe, uh, maybe too often, which limits me maybe. Um, but it's, it's definitely something I'd, uh, I want to do more often and um, whether it be just a few sentences here and there, um, obviously in blog form, it's slightly shorter, but um, I'd, I definitely think words are a beautiful way of being able to spread messages. Does that stuff help you in a game that can kind of sometimes feel like it's eating itself? Look to our own personal experience and we're not, you know, we're not playing in World Cups. We're not playing in front of thousands of people. We're not really being judged as like heavily as <laughs> professional footballers are. And I feel like even, even we have sometimes struggled speaking, you know, from our own personal experience over the last couple of years, mm. especially po- the po- with the post-COVID schedule, to step away from football and find that other thing that keeps you engaged in it. You know, like a prime example, like you, you know, you notoriously still live in the place that you grew up, like in that part of London, whereas mm. everyone usually kind of lives around <laughs> like St Albans if they play for Arsenal. Yeah. And does, does being engaged in those worlds still feel like it kind of makes you... I suppose I want to say like almost like freer when you mm. step into football mode, having that other gear. Yeah, it's interesting. In football, you're often put into a box mm. and the expectation is that you maybe are a little bit here, a little bit there, but you never go beyond that and you never you never probe beyond maybe the 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 training ground that you're you're expected to spend X amount of hours here and there. You're expected to turn out, turn up at this time, leave at this time. Everything is so structured within within that um, that box. And for me, even the thirty minute drive that I take from from training to to East London, that is my my sort of threshold moment of going from the the pure focus and I'm going to give everything I have right in this moment to to football, to my teammates, to to Arsenal, to the club I love. Um, to the threshold moment of okay, I'm I'm going to think about what actually happened today. What what I think I could have done better. The the things I need to take into tomorrow, and maybe actually even what clips am I going to watch this evening? Um, and conversations am I am I going to have with my analysis um, to to work out if I maybe should have played this pass because those moments also do do linger in your mind. However much you want to quote unquote be free from it. Um, then when I come home, there is, like you say, Ryan, I think that moment of, of freedom, being around my friends and family that I've been around since day dot um, and who understand me for being me, not just me as a footballer and know that my validation doesn't hang on just my boots. They hang on who I am. Lotta, you've just, you've just given me something to ask about. This is what we need to ask more players, actually. What is your moment of freedom? You know, when mm-hmm. I was, when I was, look, I was a trainee lawyer. I was, a, I was a terrible lawyer for those listening. I'm not claiming <laughs> I was ever any good. I was a terrible lawyer, but yeah. I was a trainee lawyer. And like, I didn't feel like I'd got my freedom moment until I had changed out of my suit into like, you know, baggy tracksuit bottoms. And I was cooking something, at, you know, at seven, at seven thirty PM. Cause I never stayed that late. Cause I was a terrible lawyer. And you know, we need to ask actually more athletes about when they decompress and when they actually get back to normal, mm-hmm. take off the sort of you know, superhero costume and back to normal. Because that, the way you describe it, feels like you have that. You're quite good at decompressing, it seems. Interestingly, footballers actually live in trackies 24-7. So <laughs> there, would, there would arguably no, be no <laughs> moment of freedom. <laughs> Not to out my teammates in their, um, no and their fashion sense. No judgment whatsoever. Um, but maybe on that note, um, 
the minute I throw on my jeans um, and my partner will probably laugh at me because I also do spend a lot of time in trackies and they are one of the most comfortable pieces of clothing. But um, there is nothing better than pulling on a pair of um, pulling on a pair of jeans after a long tournament like this summer after the World Cup. Um, we spent every single day in Nike and Nike, I love you. Like they they they. Uh, they play a big part in um, my community work and working with me, but there is nothing better than, than pulling on a pair of jeans, knowing that you can quite literally, in particular as a women's footballer that has mm. maybe less of a following. I can just walk down the street and being conspicuous and um, walk into my local offie and pick up a pint of milk and eggs and um, live on through life. Best of both worlds, 60,000 yeah. people in the stadium and then like walk around the corner and you're chill. Musa, to the first Arsenal women's game that we played at the Emirates during my professional career, I cycled there. <laughs> oh my That's goodness. so good. That's also the most so Dutch thing good. ever. <laughs> and also probably the most Dutch thing I forgot a lot so um, I, trust, I trusted the good people at the Emirates <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube Cars can be a big investment so it's important to take care of them I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We went from creativity. We want to talk about adversity, actually, because your career has had this leadership, uh, captaining the youth teams for England and breaking through with Arsenal. But there's also the adversity of when you don't get selected for the particular squad or the, the team you want. Like, what, how do you handle that? Like, now that you've got the expectation of where you can be creative you know, in your career, how do you handle that in terms of professional setbacks? I think as a, as a younger player, those setbacks would affect me a lot more. You question a lot. You think back to moments where you could have done things differently and you actually lose quite a lot of trust for yourself and for you you as a player. And it can can be quite a a pivotal moment, I think, in in a young player's career where maybe things aren't going their way and there are players on different journeys to you, I think. A a good comparison that I could draw um, now is actually uh, my teammate, Alessia Russo. We went to university together. she was um, my roommate. She's like a sister to me. Um, but her journey and her trajectory and her career was was much steeper than mine. She broke into the England squads a lot earlier than me. She had a lot of success and she's an unbelievable player and uh, that takes nothing away from her. But 
mine was a lot slower. And um, I think I've I've been able to to grow as a, a a player to the point where I can understand that concept of the journeys being different for each player. And they still are even to the point where you're a professional player and you're growing continually through, throughout your career. And there are injuries, there are setbacks that come in the form of obviously not being selected for squads. But likewise, there is still that element of understanding that this is your journey. It's unique to you in this moment. And right now, maybe you're not in the squad, but why do I need to compare myself with, with X, Y and Z? Because... I'm still doing what I need to do and I'm going to keep working, um, actually even probably be more motivated to keep working and have a mindset that um, puts more confidence within myself um, and attempts to um, silence out maybe where you think that there needs to be validation from from externals. And my goodness, football is such a game of um, opinions and there are going yeah. to be so many opinions going around. But as long as you're able to hone down the opinions that matter most and give you more than take away from you, I think mm. when it does come to those setback moments, you're able to, to compute them a lot easier and actually get stronger from them ultimately. And I think I've been able to do that. And I think it's probably one of my biggest strengths, uh, the resilience aspect of being able to then take those setbacks and grow from them and feel better for it, actually. I was actually going to ask, like, what happens internally when something like that happens? Is there someone from the club, for example, or is there someone from, from say, like the national team or the FA? Or Serena strikes me as someone who, i got to put my foot down when I need to, but also I, she really cares about her players as an outsider. Yeah. Was there anything internally that happened where Arsenal kind of like, okay, we do this, or do you get feedback on that? And does that help you almost compartmentalise what you need to do going forward? Serena's is quite unique in the sense that she wants to tell you herself before um, anyone else finds out. So you always get a call the day before the, the squad goes out and you're basically hoping that you don't see Serena Vigman coming up <laughs> on your WhatsApp icon um, oh, for oh. that day. Yeah, no, it, yeah. it is that grim. Um, yeah. And I, I remember actually probably the squad that I missed out on, Ryan, that you're talking about. I was sat at the dinner table. Um, my partner was away traveling with cycling and I was halfway through my meal and I saw that she had, she, she was calling and um, you basically know immediately. Um, so there, there is part of you that really respects the fact that she wants to call you, um, but there's also part of you that thinks, oh, I just do not want to chat to you right now. I already, yeah. know the, I already know the outcome and there's that emotional side of you that's like, I just don't need to talk to you right now. Um, mm. And um, she completely understands that always. And they always uh, are extremely open to the questions that you might have later on. And that then is the, the mode when you switch and you're like, okay, I need to get back on it because I need to get back into this squad or I need to uh, do X, Y, Z to, to get back. And um, that's when you, go to the club, you often then, if you're not on international, you have this very focused period of time where you can work one-on-one -on -one pretty much with the coaches uh, back at the club and they support you fully. Um, one, knowing that you should, probably should be in that squad because they understand your ability maybe to a, a more honed and precise degree than maybe an international coach who sees you only 5% of the year. They're there to give you the confidence and to push you to a point where you can make that healthy growth in a way that you can maintain confidence, but also be in a be in a good place coming back to when the international period has ended and uh, you're able to get back um, back running with the with the team again. 
I was going to move on to, if you don't mind, just um, some work outside the pitch. We kind of touched on it a little bit before. Prime example is stuff in the New Deal, with your recent Arsenal deal. Congratulations. Yeah, congrats. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. There's an interesting part of that deal where Arsenal committed to a programme that you, you oversee and also goes into stuff with your work with like the Venus campaign and skin consciousness yeah. and stuff like that. I was wondering if you could explain a little bit more to people because you do it and you'll do a far better job than I will, but like what that part of the deal was, because I think it's something that everyone I've spoken to about it has kind of been like, whoa, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing that that's written into a deal when most people just want to stay at the club and get, get paid basically. Right. Yeah. So the, the deal I did sign was uh, obviously big full stop. The fact that I was able to then commit another few years to, to my childhood club uh, and do so in a way that had full confidence from the manager and, and the management staff. But uh, we, we kind of wanted it to be different in the sense that um, we wanted to use it as a, a catalyst to um, focus more on my involvement in the community and I'm, I'm from East London, so I'm pretty much active in, in already the communities that Arsenal is active in. So that's Islington, Hackney, uh, Camden, those areas that actually mean so much to me. And why not allow myself to give back to those communities in a way that does so with the Arsenal badge on, on my chest? There felt like no greater opportunity. So when we penned that deal, we were able to commit Arsenal to, in line with the amount of years that I signed signed for them with, to run a program, not in my name, but in sort of my ode to um, exploring different subjects um, alongside football. So literature, art, the environment, using football as a means to, to bridge the gap, maybe for young girls, which it was um, targeted, at, targeted at, to focus on things that they might not usually be able to um, experience or uh, explore and using football as a means to uh, break it down and make it somewhat more um, accessible and understandable. So we brought in guests, a lot of them friends of mine who I've known for years who work in those industries and they came in buzzing to be um, involved in something that was serving young girls from Islington, Camden and, uh, and Hackney, young girls who were likewise unbelievably ecstatic to be in the hub underneath the Emirates, which mm. I know I would have been excited about being in, um, but being there and um, doing something that uh, they might not have usually actually been able to, to do in, in a way that uh, could I'd like to think um, have had an impact on them, um, not just as um, players, which a lot of them weren't actually football players, but oh, um, even better. Wow. Yeah. To, yeah. For them as, as people. And it is what it basically says on the tin. It's a, the, the time to explore um, program, which um, is running twice a year. And we're about to start our newest um, onboarding in actually a week. That's so cool. Cause like it's, I mean, like we were talking about earlier about you, highlighting the importance of your upbringing and having this all of these different fact, factors or like interests and hobbies yeah. seemed very personal to you and being like when someone tells you it it's just like oh yeah of course lot is doing that it fits doesn't it with what you with your ethos yeah can i throw this in as well just to access within football i felt i had to sort of grasp that while we were on it yeah access within football the photo posted by arsenal socials quite recently with the arsenal women's squad and mm -hmm. it Almost immediately, it's very rarely I see a, a response to a piece of social media like that. Almost immediate response, just in terms of the lack of diversity, 
people feeling Arsenal catchment area, like North London in particular, North and East London, really Arsenal heartlands and not being reflected in terms of diversity in the Arsenal squad. What, what was your reaction to, to that whole scenario um, when, when it played out? First off, I was glad that there was uproar. There's part of me that um, knew it was a reality, but I think when there suddenly becomes an open discussion and conversation about an issue, I think that's where you have to start. And I'm going to be speaking as a privileged white woman, but the lack of diversity in our team, forcing Arsenal to become accountable for that and Arsenal being a very small part of the wider issue, which is going beyond not only women's football, football, but also into society, um, mm. them, them being a, a, a massive part of that, I think, is so important for them to show accountability for. I think me as an individual, part of the institution of Arsenal Football Club, it's disappointing. Disappointing to the sense that we are a London club and there is by no means any visibility or any encouragement for young girls who are of a black and ethnic minority group to look up to the Arsenal team and say there is a possibility for me here and that's deeply saddening because for the past maybe 20-30 years Arsenal have been a club where young girls could look up to to the team and, and they could see diversity and when there is a lack of diversity you miss out on so much talent, not only from a sporting aspect, but also from a business aspect. And we also can't be naive to think that this is just within Arsenal or, or just within a, a playing degree, because it goes much beyond that. It goes a, across the whole nation, but also into the staffing. There is mm. there is a lack of diversity across the board in, in coaches and the backroom staff as well. There is a big cost that we that we have to 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 change, and it is all well and good saying it's going to happen at the grassroots. It can happen in the future, but, but this, this change needs to happen now. Mm. And um, we all have a responsibility within that. And I myself look at, look at how I can, can impact that. And uh, I'm by no means a, someone who can click my fingers and do that right now, but we need to have the conversations and, and I myself am, am trying to do that with, within the club. And it's not something that's going to change overnight, but I definitely think within the change that we can create now, it will help us to get to a point in the future where that change is beneficial to creating more diversity within the game. I saw a lot of responses to people being like, so what? It's just the best players. It's not just that. It's about like societal structure, football funding, accessibility within women's football now, because I feel like this is something that has happened at men's football before. Mm. Can I, can I, can I throw an example? It's like with scouting networks. Look at the Germany team yeah. that won the 2014 World Cup. And there was this story about how if Tony Kroos, if they hadn't extended the scouting network properly to Hansa Rostock at that particular age group, they might not have picked up Tony Kroos. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine like the man's impact yeah. on world football, probably the best passer. Good and bad. Like, <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> wouldn't have his blog for a start no. but you know we would not have had one of the best passes in world football if we hadn't scouted if Germany had not scouted we got to go on native if Germany had not scouted in a certain part of the country at a certain point mm. and to your point I think Lotter about the talent there just needs to be that extra effort in scouting because if you look at players like like a Rachel Yankee or an Anita Asante the thought they might have been lost to football like essential yeah. parts of the fabric frightened to think of what we're losing as we speak just because yeah. we haven't extended the networks properly like the, the question needs to be asked do clubs have the right structures in place to be able to access that 
And the question has to be plain and simple. Yes, no, right, we need to make something happen. We need to get the right people in and we actually need to create a more culturally diverse environment space for the the players when they do come in because we've now got to a point where there is going to be so much pressure on the first player that we sign and whether that is right or wrong, it can't have been to that point where this is where the change happens and now there's going to be this rhetoric of, oh, they've only done, they've only right. signed this player yeah. because of... Right. I mean, it was really cool that you wanted to talk about that or you were cool yeah, yeah. talking about that because I think it's something that definitely needed to be raised and I think it's important that it is so. Um, yeah, I, I think we're at the point where we can't brush it under the carpet. The expectation, the responsibility that we have, we need to be held accountable for it. And um, I know that there is a lot being done in, in the grassroots system through Arsenal and that's great, but there's also a lot that we can be doing now and needs to be done. And like I said, I don't think I'm necessarily the person uh, to be able to implement those changes, but I would definitely take every day as an opportunity to ensure that, one, it's not forgotten, but two, that, um, that action is actually done. Before we let you go, a couple more things, if that's cool. We're on the ringer, right? I imagine there's a lot of people listening from North Carolina. Yeah, I oh, love this. I love that you've done this. Can <laughs> we talk about your time? Love that. Yes. At the Tar Heels. Yes. Oh, go Heels. <laughs> <laughs> so what yes. was it like when, what was it like making that decision? If you, I'm, I'm sure you've probably talked about it before, but like, that's a big decision moving out of Arsenal and going over there and playing college football. I know that it's a, it's a dream set up for, for sports over there, like the college system. What was that process like? What was the decision like? Was it an easy one? And throw any listeners from North Carolina a little bit of kind of like... Some fan service. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, let's get them on side. Um, it definitely was not easy. I had a professional contract on the table from Arsenal and... On the other shoulder, I had the Tar Heel Ram in my ear saying, <laughs> come to North Carolina. And ultimately, it was Anson Dorrance, the, the unbelievable manager, coach of the 1999 World Cup winning US Women's National Team. But at the time that I signed for UNC, he also so happened to be the, the UNC coach. And throughout my time at UNC, I was guided by this I think you'd probably call him a, a soccer messiah, his unbelievable CV, but also his uh, ability to to speak from a perspective that not many coaches I think I've ever experienced can, can speak from, all while being in, quote unquote, what do they call it, southern part of heaven, <laughs> Chapel Hill. It was quite the place, like you're talking barbecue, you're talking grits, you're talking oh my goodness. tailgating. Oh uh, yeah, it was it was a culture shock to say the least for a London girl who uh, was not used to getting in the car to to go to the corner shop. <laughs> you know, I love we began with oh the pressure of moving abroad, and actually it was like yeah she was in heaven. Now we feel yeah, mis- we feel miserable. <laughs> <laughs> Wish we hadn't no, asked. That, that was how quick it uh, it turned around. I I think probably f- within the first year it took about two months to then pretty much fall in love with the place and the people and um, the culture there. Like sports in America is unbelievable. Unbelievable. We sold out our stadium. It had like 6,000 capacity. We sold it out almost every game. And this is for college kids. We're 17, 18 and we're packing out a stadium more than Leicester can on a Sunday night at the King Power. It is crazy, crazy. 
Um, and I, I absolutely love my town there. Obviously doing it with my, my sister or calling my sister, Alessia Russo, like being able to do it with someone, um, that you hold so close to your heart, um, to share those experiences with. And Still got a WhatsApp group with old friends from there or? We do. Touch? Yeah. I actually just missed alumni weekend. They've got this oh. uh, unbelievable culture of being able to bring people back to their college towns almost every year and continue this bond that is definitely not the same as when you were 17 and the drinking culture, the, the, the youngness that you had and the mm. youthfulness, sorry, but the ability to bring people back to their college towns and actually have so much pride for their college town. The amount of people shouting about the universities that they went to in America was, was um, actually extremely special and um, showed how much they probably appreciated that time. And all of this being said, I was so lucky to get a full scholarship because my oh my is expensive oh my to go goodness. to university in America. Right. I remember seeing some of the bills and thinking, how on earth are people affording this? And well, they're not. <laughs> talk, yeah, yeah, they're not. Yeah. You're, you're, you're talking about football in, in England. I mean, soccer in America, that definitely is a yeah middle-class sport. The amount mm. of um, money that those players, families must have been able to have to go on travel teams in their youth soccer to actually then be able to be scouted by these colleges is unbelievable. Um, so while, yeah, sport was amazing in uh, America, there's also so much money in it. And um, it was yeah pretty crazy to see and experience um, from a very privileged sort of perspective. I'm going to hand over to Musa for the last question. It kind of feels like we're talking to someone who's had like the career of like a 15-year professional career. Yeah, kind right. Of, it's kind yeah. of wild, actually. It's <laughs> making so me think much. I probably should have done more. Just, uh... Oh, you can't talk. Look at you, done plenty. Anyway, listen, <laughs> unlike some of us who barely got going to a 40. <laughs> but, Doctor, but back to you. Last, last question, last question. Uplifting note, because you always end with the uplifting stuff. Hopes for the season, hopes your own game, and anything else you'd like to mention that gets you excited about the direction of the game and your, your career in general? I'm excited to to see this game grow in and be so very much part of it. Um, seeing how many fans or more fans are turning out and how many more people it's touching across not only football fans, but also maybe people that wouldn't have even touched football before. The opportunity that we have to spread all the lovely stuff that come with playing football. Like, right, this podcast has probably been pretty heavy in terms of chatting about maybe the wider issues but football is a beautiful game and the more people that we're able to touch I think and the more people that um, can enjoy it the the ultimately better I think their moods are give or take if we win (laughs) (laughs) and Musa I mean the lovey-dovey stuff about football aside we're here to win the league Yes, yes and I'm here to play a big role in that I want to be consistent for the team use my first form of a defence's attack and stop as many goals but likewise I think also um, help my teammates score as many goals uh, we've got so 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 much potential in this team I just hope that we're able to find that and actually you know what I have no doubt that we'll be able to find that and use that to, to our use for winning this league I'm sold. I'm sold. Oh my goodness. I've, t- I've completely drunk the Arsenal are going to win the league cool aid Converted the Church of Lotta Lead us, lead us to the promised land. Oh, don't be silly. <laughs> uh, a lot of this was amazing. Thanks so much yeah, for, no, yeah, joking for, for coming on. Incredible. Yeah, really real. great to chat yeah, to you. Yeah, it was yeah. really, really interesting to hear about the career and about the stuff you do. And yeah, best of luck for the season. 
Thank you so much. And unlike all of the other Stadio podcasts, I don't think I'll be listening to this one back. I hate listening back to my own voice. <laughs> so this will be the one I avoid. <laughs> no, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. <laughs> Cheers, Lotta. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, man. How, how fun was that? It's wonderful. An absolute, absolute delight. Elite centre-backs on Stadio. Goodness me. Hook it to my veins. I reckon I'll do this for today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Don't forget to check Counterpress. Don't forget to check Wright's House. And uh, don't forget to check the Stadio Archers players on Spotify. Speaking of which, playing out on D-Radira, incredibly catchy Batman. Just reissued on Emotional Rescue, so go and buy it. Is there anything you would like to add, Musa Okwonga? Nothing further. All right, everyone. Have a lovely weekend. We'll be back on Monday. Much love. See you then. Bad.